please uh, turn in God's Word to Luke chapter 7, which I think is printed out as well in your service sheet. Luke 7, and we'll read from verse 36 to verse 50. Um, and, and just to say, it's lovely to be with you, and um, we, we have been praying for you, and I know lots of RPC churches have been praying for you, and um, it's great to, to share fellowship and bring, bring God's word to you. So Luke 7, verse 36, let's hear God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I've something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, She's not ceased to kiss my feet. Uh, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So reads God's word. Um, let me pray again um, and then look at this message. Um, our Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to write this account will, will come now and, and illuminate our dark minds and hearts so that we see what Jesus has done for us all the more. And pray in, in his name, for his namesake. Amen. So October 31st, um, growing up in England, that, that was Halloween. That, that was kind of what, what it meant to me. It was only when I went to America that I actually realised that October 31st was when Martin Luther, that this German monk, went and, and nailed his famous theses uh, to the door of um, the castle. And, um, and it's a good thing, isn't it, on, on, to, to remember that and all its significance, as, as Rob said earlier. Um, and one of the... One of the truths that was rediscovered at the Reformation was the, the doctrine of justification. And so that's what I want to kind of think about um, with you this, this afternoon still, just. Um, I want to think about why justification matters. Now, now maybe you think, okay, well, you've already lost me. Um, uh, I, I don't know what justification is. Well, this story, it doesn't contain the word 
but it does contain the idea. So if you look at verse 41 and 42 and the story Jesus tells, we've got two money, we've got a money lender and two debtors. One debtor owes the, the equivalent of £20,000 and the other debtor owes the equivalent of £2,000. Um, and then we're told, in verse 42, when they couldn't pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Okay, and this act of the moneylender in cancelling the debts is an act of justification. What's going on there? Well, the moneylender is removing the, the legal obligation on these two debtors to, to cough up. And the word translated cancelled, um, here, it, it, cancelled the debt is, is a significant Bible word that's linked to, to the idea of grace. Um, and so that the moneylender, he cancels their debt. So he doesn't set them a budget. He doesn't kind of group their debts together and get them to repay in easier instalments with, with lower rates of interest. He says that they have nothing with which to pay, and so he cancels it. And that act of the moneylender is totally undeserved. But there's, there's no reason it should have happened. Um, it is free grace. And, and this is what God does to sinners. He justifies them. He, he forgives their sins, not because they deserve it, and counts them as righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And so what I want to do um, is think about what difference does that truth make? And, and there are four things uh, to, to see in the passage. Um, four things that justification produces in this woman. Um, so love to Christ, humility, freedom from people-pleasing, and peace. And then I'll draw a bit of conclusion. So firstly, justification produces love to Christ. So, so in the story, the, 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 the woman is, is filled with love to Jesus, isn't she? So Jesus is, is sitting um, at a, a Pharisee's house eating, when suddenly into the room bursts this woman. Luke even gives us a behold in verse 37. She, she walks in from the street. She, she busies herself at Jesus' feet, doing all kinds of... Um, there's all kinds of busyness in verse 38. She is weeping. She, she wets his feet. She, she wipes them. She kisses them. She anoints them. Um, and she offers no explanation, does she? There's no, no, no words to explain what she's doing. But you don't have to be a genius, do you? Like perfume, kisses... Like it, 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 it's love, isn't it? Now, not necessarily romantic love, um, but, but she is conveying her affection. She, she is honouring this man. And, and yet the incident is very out of the blue. It must have puzzled the guests, mustn't it? And it is that puzzle that drives the story. We, we want to know what, what is it that accounts for this? Uh, what's in her mind? What's led her to go and look in, the, in her house to, to find this valuable perfume, to clutch it, to walk through busy streets into this room of, of near strangers, um, to pour it all at, at Jesus' feet? Where does this, this love for Christ come from? Well, Jesus' story in verse 41 and 42 is, is explaining, isn't it? Um, it is God's gracious act of justification has produced this woman's love for Christ. And love is a fruit of justification, uh, not an ingredient. It's an effect, not a cause. And it's worth trying to be clear on this. So um, it is so, so easy for Christians to make mistakes here. If you look at verse 47, Jesus says, 
Um, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And it would be really easy to misread that, wouldn't it? And to think, um, Jesus is saying, it's those who are devoted to me who who get forgiveness. Um, It's the ones who love me sufficiently who attain this justification. But that's not the the meaning of verse 47 at all. like this: If we were on safari in Africa, and, and I said, oh, a lion has walked this way because here are the footprints. Okay? I, I'm not saying that the footprints are the cause of the lion walking this way, quite obviously, am I? Like, I, But I'm drawing a connection between the effect, the footprints, and the cause, the lion walking. And, and I can conclude from the effect that the cause has happened. And, and that's what Jesus means in verse 47. She says, her sins are forgiven. How do, how do we know that? What's the evidence for that? Well, it's this display of, of her love. And, and practically, this helps us understand all kinds of verses in the Bible that talk about our works playing a role on Judgment Day. Or in the book of James, and there's a connection between our works and justification. And in all those instances, it's an evidential role. So they are effects of the cause. They are acting like corroborating evidence in a court case to give additional proof. It isn't the basis of our justification. It proves that we've been justified. It also means it's very easy for preachers to stand and to tell everyone, you should love Jesus. And we sort of say, this is... This is um, what love for Jesus looks like and, and we can be energetic and enthusiastic um, and, and keep repeating it but, but often that kind of can leave us a bit cold can't it? It, it doesn't really the way to produce love is not by telling you to, to, to do it uh, this love for Jesus is produced by grasping what verse 42 says has happened when they couldn't pay he cancelled the debt And if you want to love the Lord Jesus more, then reflecting on the nature of your justification is is part of what will do that. Secondly, justification produces humility. The woman's crying, isn't she? Um, The the, the lady is weeping. And in fact, there are so many tears that she is crying, that she's able to actually wash Jesus' feet with her tears. It's quite a bit of, of, of tears, I think, isn't it, in terms of, to, to achieve that. And again, there's no explanation of these tears, is there? We're left to wonder, why is she crying? What, what bitter memories does she have? What, what regrets lie behind these tears of her? And I think... Today, plenty of Christians, if, if this lady walked into the meeting, you know, we'd want to say, oh, calm down, dear. Don't you understand Jesus has paid for your sins? You don't need to cry anymore. Um, and we'd almost sort of get her to stop, we wanted to stop crying as though it's somehow inappropriate with the gospel. But these tears are, are too prominent a part of the story just to, um, to kind of be inappropriate. They, they tell us, I think, that there is nothing trite about having our sins forgiven. But there's nothing little about this, this act of justification. Um, so, so yes, it, 
It means that the law cannot touch me. Yes, it means my sins have been cancelled. Um, but it doesn't trivialise my sin. And in fact, it, it underscores it. it. It means my sin killed Christ. Far from diluting and watering down the evil of, of my evil, it, it intensifies it. It alerts me to, to, to the wrongs I've done. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 31 of his prophecy, he describes future time when God will come to work. And he says it, he describes it like this. He says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. And I do think there's something beautiful about the image of this lady's tears being used to wash Jesus' feet, that her, her grief, her repentance, um, beautifies the Lord Jesus, that, that it, it only shows um, his glory more. And this is where the, the sinner language, I think, is interesting. So uh, this lady is introduced in verse 37 as a sinner. Simon, the Pharisee, calls her a sinner in verse 39. Both times, the word is being used to describe um, a, a certain group um, in society or just outside society who have broken the law code. Uh, so prostitutes, thieves, drug dealers, thugs. Um, but, but Jesus speaks in ways that deliberately broaden the, the meaning of the word. So, so earlier in Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In chapter 7, just, just earlier, verse 34, he says, or he's described as the friend of sinners. And it's as though Jesus is, is telling us that unless you're willing to stop calling other people sinners and start embracing the label for yourself, that you won't know me. Unless you recognise yourself in the beginning of verse 42 that I cannot pay for myself, you won't get Christ. And this doctrine of, of justification, it, it tells us loud and clear that we have nothing with which to pay. It, it reminds us of the flimsiness of our own righteousness in God's sight, that, that your acceptance with God is, isn't based on his, sorry, is based on his gracious provision of, of Jesus Christ as Saviour. I think... Simon's sneer in verse 39 is very telling. He's sneering at this woman, isn't he? And a sure sign that you've not grasped your justification is that you're looking down your nose at others. You see, justification, it, it equalises everyone, doesn't it? it everyone is, is equally justified. So, so the little old lady who's getting dementia and is confused... The, the youngest child with the, the kind of really inarticulate faith, the mature husband and wife who are pillars in the church, the new convert who is struggling hard and often unsuccessfully against their sin, that the lazy Christian who is slow to lend a hand, um, the, the Christians who don't have much of a spiritual life to talk of, um, the Christians who, um, who are gossips and who bicker and who cause problems in church are all equally justified. So Mary Magdalene was as equally justified as, as Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Samson was as much justified as Abraham. And, and there are foolish Christians and wise Christians, and there are godly Christians and less godly Christians. There are mature Christians and immature Christians. But with respect to the grounds on which God receives us, we are totally equal. That there is no difference whatsoever that, that when we arrive in glory and there is that crowd that no one can number, that there's no one who will have snuck in on some other kind of basis other than that of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so when you find yourself sneering at other Christians, that then we have to ourselves up, don't we? Um, I'm, I'm losing sight of my justification um, and what I'm, the ground I'm standing on. Three, justification produces freedom from the opinions of others. Thinking here of the, the semi-public nature of what this, this woman is doing. This woman does not honour Christ privately. She'll be used to walking in the shadows. She walks into this male-dominated room and feels everyone staring at her, uh, disdaining her. Maybe some of her ex-clients are in the room. But, but she doesn't care. She identifies with, with Jesus now. And as a prostitute, I guess, you know, you kind of learn to, to kind of shut down from what other people think of you and others' perceptions. I'm sure you, you develop a tough exterior um, and shut down your emotions. But it's interesting that that's not exactly what's going on here because um, she is emotionally vulnerable. She, she cracks. Um, but I want to say that to grasp your justification frees you from the opinion of others. So, so imagine a man getting freed from the old Bailey. And he, he comes out to the steps and the cameras are there and he, he reads out his statement and, and punches the air because, because he has been vindicated in the highest court in the land. Um, he, he has been justified. And then the crowds gradually disappear and he, he makes his way down a side street to where his car is parked, where, where he sees he's, he's got a parking ticket. How is he going to react? How does he feel? Does, does he fly into a rage? Does the parking ticket ruin his day? Well, of course not. He's just been vindicated in the highest court of the land. A piddly parking ticket. He couldn't care less about, could he? And, and when the court of Almighty God evaluates your life, and when it clothes you in the righteousness of Christ and declares you to be righteous, the evaluation of little, little people starts to look far less significant. Every day we step into hundreds of smaller courtrooms. So in marriage, in work, at school, online, on Facebook. For preachers, um, every Sunday is a court, courtroom. And how will it go? How will it look? How will, will the church's health reflect on me? And, and you can sit in church and you can think, Am I, what, what do others, others think of me? What does she think of me right now? And, and we have to believe in our justification. Are you insecure? Then believe in your justification. Are you a people pleaser? Then believe in your justification. Christ has identified with you. He has swapped your sin for his righteousness. 
The eyes of God take pleasure in you. And so the crooked, wonky, faulty opinions of man don't matter as much. Fourthly, justification produces peace. Jesus only says two things to the woman in this account. So they're recorded in verse 48 and verse 50. He says to her, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, why does Jesus tell her that her sins are forgiven when the whole point of that story in verse 41 and 42 is that she already knows that and that's why she's been pouring perfume on him? Why does he reiterate to her what she already knows to be the case? Well, very simply, because she needs to keep hearing it. And, and we need to keep hearing it, don't we? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So, so why, I think every service I'm sure what does this, why do you, do you confess your sins and then have this assurance of pardon? Um, uh, it's important to be clear, isn't it? What, what's happening there is not that anyone's getting re-justified. Um, it's easy to think that, that justification starts with God's grace, but somewhere along the line it, it gets a bit worn out and it needs sort of topping up. Um, so, and this is where the analogy of the debtor can, can break down a little bit. So you can imagine a scenario where um, that their debts are cancelled, but then give it another week and they take out another loan and they can't pay that loan back either, and so they need to have their debts cancelled again. And so, you know, do they need a second justification? And then a third and a fourth? And then, if that's the case, think how many times you'd need to be justified within a week or within a day. If all justification does is wipe the slate clean um, up to the present, but leave me to be obedient in the future, then, then it's actually a little comfort. But no, the cancellation of debt described in verse 42 is complete. That your past, your present and future sins have all been laid on Christ. That the sins that, that you'll commit tomorrow morning haven't got missed out. But, but they, they are still sins. But when you commit them, you, you should still grieve over them, ask for forgiveness for them. But the law and its penalties cannot touch you. That, that you have been permanently removed from its jurisdiction. And in the Christian life, it's as though the devil um, sends debt collectors round asking for, for repayment. And um, that they, you know, you get debt, debt collectors put, put the letter through the door demanding that we want the money, or they, they knock on your window or knock on your door, um, threatening you with court action. Unless you pay up, you're, you're going to go to court. And when that happens, you have to remember that it, it's being paid, that, that my debts are cancelled that the threats have no legal validity, that, that they are charlatans. And so, so you kind of think, you've sinned, you're guilty, your conscience is plaguing you, what do you do? You know your sin is serious, How do you, what do you do about it? Well, in prayer, the only argument you are to use with God, the only place you are to, to point him and to look is what Jesus Christ has done. 
um, in his death and resurrection. Your job is not to point to God how sorry you are. It's not to point to him that your repentance has reached sufficiently earnest levels. You point him to what Jesus has already paid. And it is this understanding of God's one act of justification that produces peace. So when Jesus says, go in peace, at the end, that's not kind of an empty Christian cliché. It's not the American president saying, God bless you all, or whatever. Um, you need to read lots into that piece. It's not a hippie kind of piece. It's not when you smoke something that you shouldn't. Um, God's act of justification secures her peace. Peace with the demands of God's law. Peace with God himself. And this is what means you can lie your head on your pillow at night and know that if you die, you have nothing to fear. Now there's a whole attitude um, to this topic that's common in churches today that, that just sees this doctrine of justification as, as kind of pernickety, as a bit of a fuss about nothing. So the Reformation rediscovered this uh, and clarified this truth. Um, but, but differences between Protestant and Roman Catholic churches today, um, often people just want to kind of fudge them and say there's not really, really any difference anymore. But there is nothing more important than to be able to give a clear answer to the question, how can I, a sinner, know that on that great day I shall be welcomed by God? And Roman Catholicism teaches you that it, you will be welcomed by God's grace plus your love. And Protestant churches say it is, you will be welcomed by God's grace alone. And those different answers are not kind of just academic answers. The wrong answer robs you of peace. It will evacuate the blood of Christ of its power. It will get you relying on yourself, whereas the right answer will give you peace. So justification, it produces love, humility, freedom from others' opinions, and peace. Let me, um, as we finish, um, draw attention to verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Now Jesus isn't here um, wanting the, the woman to pat herself on the back and saying, well done, you know, you, you've believed in me, congratulations, well done you. Uh, no, um, he is drawing a contrast here between this woman and everyone else in the room. She has faith and they don't. She trusts Jesus alone as the grounds of her justification. Everyone else in the room has questions and is suspicious of Jesus. In verse 39 and verse 49, it's all questions and suspicions. Even Simon the host. So notice significantly, Simon is never told that his sins are forgiven. I think it's a mistake to think that Simon is forgiven here. He's just been forgiven a bit less. No salvation language is applied to him. He's not told to go in peace. Why? Because although he treats Christ cordially, he doesn't trust him. And it is very possible, isn't it? Um, we're a small group here, but, but churches are full of assignments. And, and people who will invite Jesus into their house, who, who like Jesus or think they like him, they, they love their, their children and their grandchildren to be taught about Jesus. Wonderful. Might have a picture of Jesus up on their wall and, and have, some, have a Bible on the shelf and, and maybe love to sing the old songs and the values. But, but they've never 
receive the Lord Jesus alone as the saviour of their sins. Likewise, there are others who can be at church and um, they're not even Simons, they're not even um, interested enough to invite Jesus into their home. And I think what we've got to see is um, verse 43 captures the issue. Um, Jesus tells this wonderful story um, about justification and he asks Simon a question um, and Simon says, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And I think that phrase, I suppose, says it all. For Simon, this is all a bit hypothetical, really. Um, I suppose. It's all a bit theoretical and abstract. He just has not appreciated that he has nothing with which to pay. And that Jesus is offering to cancel everything. Um, And uh, uh, we don't talk about this enough in, in, in churches. How can I be right with God? Doesn't even get asked. It's not that as churches we're giving the wrong answer. It's that the, the question isn't even raised. We've not even framed it in the right way. And, and the primary image often the church today uses is that of the marketplace, the shop. And Jesus is a product to be to be bought. He's very useful. He's very valuable. He's great. We'll advertise Jesus and say how great he is. Um, and fundamentally, the, we've told people that um, Jesus is a product to be, you're a consumer purchasing a product, not a convict about to be sentenced. But the church doesn't get to pick the context for the gospel. Uh, we don't kind of get to package the gospel in the metaphor that just suits us. But the day of judgment, it's not just one way of looking at it, is it? Um, it's reality that everyone we know and this whole world is rushing to meet the the debt collector and we are the debtors in in verse 41 the debt collector is coming there's no I suppose this isn't just sort of theory in New York City I don't know if it's still there but there used to be a a national debt clock and it would show the the gross the US gross national debt and as you, you watched it the figure would just go up and up and up and the clock is ticking, and the se- every second it gets higher and higher and higher. And that is the reality, isn't it? If, if we're not justified, um, and for those we know who are not justified, that the, the debt collector is coming, and, and it's not as though we're just people are behind just with one or two repayments. It's not as though just if they, they start to repay, if they just come along to church and they just start giving some money and showing up and singing some songs and reading the Bible a bit more, that they'll be able to kind of get back in. Now, from this day forward, we could try to to kind of work our way into God's good books, and and it it would never work. You've got nothing with which to repay. We're going to sing um, Rock of Ages in a moment. and It says there, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? All for sin could not atone. You must save and you alone. But God the Father is offering, and verse 42, to us, isn't he? To, to everyone we know. He offers his son who died and rose. And if we will receive by faith the Lord Jesus, that, that, that this free gift of the Saviour, everything is forgiven. It's all forgiven. No repayments ever are necessary. All you need to do is receive what the moneylender gives and entrust yourself to his son.
And, and if you um, receive Christ, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess this, this evening that, that we have nothing with which to pay for our sins. But we thank you that you have provided that, that payment, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of your grace. And we ask our Father that we will be people who are clear on this glorious act of justification that, that you perform in the gospel. Please may it excite our love for Christ. May it humble us. May it free us from the opinions of others. And may it, it grant us great peace. And may this, this good news, Father, be, be shared far and wide here in Hammersmith through this local church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond to God's word by singing uh, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing Thy helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing Still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate On earth is not his equal Let's stand